from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. It's a conversation we have every week exploring all those things related to work and the rest of life, the rest of your life, our lives, our families, our community and society, and of course, our private selves, the mind, body, and spirit. How do you bring all those together in a way that's good for all the people who matter to you, to us? I am your host, Stu Friedman. I am the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of the Wharton Leadership Program. Both of those started over 30 years ago. I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. If you visit totalleadership.org, you can find lots of free information and tools that describe and that you can use. What, what is it that we do to help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life in a way that improves performance in all of them? There's an audio course there. It's called Four Way Wins. You can get that uh, through our site. Go to Himalaya.com. There are courses on LinkedIn, on Coursera. Check it out, totalleadership.org. You can hear new episodes of this show every Monday at noon, Eastern Time, on SiriusXM, channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I'm on Twitter at Stu Friedman. Well, my guest today has just published a book, must read for all those who are concerned about children in the world, especially in the United States. Um, it's about the importance of early childhood development and how parents and policymakers need to work together to help all children live up to their potential. It's, it's a topic, if you've been listening for a while, you know, uh, is uh, central to what we've been talking about here uh, over the years. Dr. Dana Suskind is the author of Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. Dana, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let me tell everyone a little bit about you before we dig into uh, your book and how people can use it. Uh, Dr. Suskind is a professor of surgery. Didn't think I was going to say that, did you, folks? Yes, she's a professor of surgery, pediatrics, and public policy at the University of Chicago. Uh, and she's co-director of the TMW Center. We'll learn more about that for early learning and public health. She's dedicated her research and clinical life to optimizing foundational brain development and preventing early cognitive disparities and their lifelong impact. Currently, Dana and her team are developing tools that'll measure caregiver and child interactions and assess parents and caregivers, uh, caretakers' knowledge and beliefs about early childhood cognitive and language development. She's also the author of the best-selling book, 30 Million Words, that's the TMW, Building a Child's Brain, uh, there's so much I want to ask you about, Dana. Um, let me start by first noting you uh, did your residency here at the hospital, the University of Pennsylvania, uh, which I am right near. In fact, I was there this morning. Uh, not going to go into the details about that. Everything's fine. It's kind of routine. Um, so you, you spent serious time here in the great city of Philadelphia. 
Uh, so this is sort of a welcome home, sort of, kind of. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my most recent book is called Parents Who Lead uh, that I co-wrote with uh, a professor uh, in Chicago at DePaul University, Alyssa Westring. And it's very much a complimentary work and similar call to action at the, at the conclusion. Uh, this work started, uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to get to your conclusion in just a moment. Uh, but 35 years ago, when my first child was born, um, everything in my world changed. And it really changed the direction of my, my career, in addition to changing the direction of my life, as I realized that I needed to try to make the world a safe one for, for him to grow up in. And, and I realized that I had the capacity to try to bring that essential passion and idea to, to others and to try to help businesses and uh, organizations and social policy to orient towards making our world one that was uh, good for every child. And your concluding note at the end of your wonderful book, Parent Nation, uh, is about our children, the two words that would su- kind of sum it up. So let me ask you, why did you choose those two words to conclude your book? You know, the book Parent Nation really lays out how a society looks when it is aligned with the healthy development of all children and the support of all parents. And it lays out how each part of society, from healthcare to business to policy, how all parts of society can come together to better support parents so children thrive. But the epilogue, which you're talking about, really sums up that if we actually viewed all children as our children and in the way that you just described, really worked hard to make not only allow our children to thrive, but all children to thrive and that orientation, I don't think we'd need this book. Uh, We wouldn't need all our work because our society would be aligned with allowing all children to reach their promise. So that's Mm -hmm. more the, you know the dream of, you know, what, what would really truly allow a more equitable and just world. Yeah. And it's one that uh, every one of us, uh, parent or not, of course, ought to be dedicated to. That's certainly what um, all the world's religions speak to as a fundamental, you know, idea for uh, what um, a humane uh, world should, should look like. So, you know, this is this is a show about work and the rest of life. It's not just about children and children's development. And your book highlights so many important aspects of uh, child development, particularly early brain development. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Um, but also, you know, the environmental needs they have in order to to develop, to become healthy and to, to fulfill their their promise, their potential, as you put it. Uh, and, and of course, the work piece of the equation uh, is, is fundamental to that, uh, which we are also, you know, we've got to talk a lot about that, but I want to start first with a, what is it that children need? And, and, and just as a kind of preamble to that, you know, your story is so remarkable in terms of how, you know, the, the critical life episode of the loss of your, your husband, your first husband, your children's um, father, 
how that kind of reshaped and reoriented not only your life as a as a as a mother as a as as a person in society but also in terms of your work so i wonder if you could just give us a you know your your current perspective now looking you know over these last 10 years how his his untimely death how that has changed how you think about you know your contribution to to work and and to society yeah you went straight for it, didn't you, Stu? <laughs> right to, right um, to no. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, you no, I mean, no. started with that. So, yeah, no, I mean. And I'm glad you did, you know, that you that you was you were very genuine and and clear about what happened, uh, which I'm, I'm going to stop talking so, to let you speak about it. But uh, uh, you invited that you know question for me, and I think you invite your readers to to, to see, you know, your, your life for, for real, to the extent, I mean, you can put on a, a printed page. And I think it's an important part of the conversation about yeah. what we need to do for each other. I mean, look, the, the fundamental premise of the book before getting into my own, how my personal view and experience uh, impacted it is this idea that the science and the doctor part of my work that really lays out what a society should look like, how the neuroscience can so clearly show us, you know, the different supports necessary. And I can go into that in in just a second, but to, to talk about my own personal experience was that, you know, when 2012, when I lost my incredible husband, uh, Don, um, while he was trying to rescue two children from Lake Michigan, you know, at that very moment in time when it happened, you know, my world absolutely crumbled. And I thought, my God, you know, what am I going to do? Are my kids going to be okay? Am I going to be able to get them to adulthood? Are they going to have the life that we all dream that we want our children to have the life that they were promised. And, you know, at that very moment when I thought all was lost, you know, what happened? I was suddenly enveloped my children and myself by my community, by the university of Chicago, by the city, by the nation, and really propped up at a period of time where I just didn't think I could go on. And it was at that moment in time, I always say that, you know, I lost my faith in serendipity, but gained my faith in humanity. And the fact Hmm. that they allowed me to continue on really allowed me to see, you know, we, all of us going through life. I mean, none of us get through life unscathed, right? And this moment in time of COVID, we know that we are every, a lot of people are suffering, but the common humanity and the supports that you receive can really get us through. But yes. so often in our society, we leave that up to chance. You know, if you're privileged enough or lucky enough, you're, if your late husband was chief of pediatric surgery, then you, you get that. And it just can't be that way, right? Social structures, social safety nets are that societal support that allows all of us and all parents deserve that. That's the whole point. You know, none of us are more worthy or want something different for our children. We all just want to get them to the other side into adulthood to have a good and healthy start in life. And that is really what we've lost or in our missing in this country is not only a centering of the neuroscience and a centering on children and families, despite what we say, we don't, but we don't have the safety nets that allow all of us to continue forward when bad things happen. And uh, I guess that was a long-winded way of telling you why I shared the story of Don, other than he's always with me. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, in anticipation of our conversation, I, I did some research about him and his impact. And uh, it's really a remarkable story. And I encourage listeners to to find out more about uh, the great Don Liu. That's L-I-U. Um, so, so I imagine that you're embraced by your community and, and the various supports that you had that, and, you know, that enabled you to, to get through uh, that tragic period uh, m- must have had some kind of inspiring effect on the work that you're doing now. I- I'm just guessing about that. Can you say more about that? Cause that that's another way in which, you know, we talk a lot in the show about the interweaving of work and the, the other parts of life yeah. and how they're kind of inseparable and how you, you know, you know, they affect each other in profound ways. Absolutely. And, you know, all of this book, you know, fits neatly into into certainly this podcast. But I can tell you that, you know, in the work of the center, in, in my work as a pediatric surgeon, working with children and families, right, the, the work that I do, that I do every day related to the center is this idea of sharing the science and the incredible strategies and the power that parents hold to build their children's brains, that children, yes. parents and caregivers are children's first and most important brain architect, teacher, et cetera. And that's the foundation of so much of the work at the center. But, you know, as you know, I do, I'm a scientist, you know, as we were working with families across Chicagoland, what was so clear is that parents would embrace this information, right? All parents love their kids, want the best for their kids. But yet barrier after barrier was placed in the way of families, right? Mm -hmm. From the mundane of I'm in the gig economy, I have to work, you know, two and a half jobs and I have less than 30 minutes a day with my kid to the obscene that is, you know, the issues of mass incarceration. One father, uh, you know, Michael, you know, we worked with his partner, Kiana, was incarcerated for five, the first five years of his son's life awaiting trial for a crime he didn't commit. Now, this is not like, you know, you know, saying that he didn't commit. He was just waiting for his trial. That is absurd. You know, or another mom, you know, Sabrina, who was, you know, great, you know, really an incredible worker, middle management doing well. Her husband got sick because they didn't have paid leave. She ended up, they lost, she lost her job. They ended up in a homeless shelter for two years. You know, you, you think about the experience I had, you know, and the luck that I had the resources to fill in the gap, the community, but here, these people, these incredible families who wanted to do right by their children were having these obscene, almost societally induced hardships that shouldn't be. And so, yes, it inspired me because all parents deserve the right to be able to raise their children and be able to do it in safe ways uh, with time and enrichment. So yes, right on, right on Dr. Suskind. (laughs) Let Let me remind listeners, this is work and life on business radio, Sirius XM channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And my guest today is Dr. Dana Suskind, who's the author of the powerful new book. It's called Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. We must keep striving against all the obstacles to try to realize that that ideal. Uh, so what is it that, that children need? How, how, in the early years especially, which is where much of your work is focused, um, how, that is, are parents their children's brain architects? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, the neuroscience is what inspired me and forms the foundation of all everything that I do. You know, what is just miraculous? I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the first three years of life and the fact that children come out absolutely helpless is actually the reason that we are the smartest, most creative of all species. Um, it is an evolutionary gift. And why is that? Um, you know, unlike most other animals, right? You know, the fowl, the, the horse that comes out and is able to stand almost immediately, the sea turtle that goes out to the sea, right? Humans are helpless. And it's because if our brain was going to be as big as it needed to be, if you were going to be as smart as Stu Friedman, you would not fit through the mom's pelvis, right? Our heads, our brains come out only a third of the adult size. And it's because the universe or expected those first few years of life after birth to finish the growing. The brain comes out mm-hmm. incomplete, unlike your heart and lungs. And it's, you know, some doctor pediatricians call, you know, the immediate period, the fourth trimester. Yes. And there was this expectation though, that Parents, caregivers, you know, nurturing adults would be there to finish off the job, Mm -hmm. provide the instruction guide to the brain that is growing from a third of the side to 85% of the physical brain being grown in those first couple of years. Hang on. Wait a minute. Let me get that right. (laughs) You scared me. (laughs) Well, because I wanted to just alert everyone to that profound uh, fact, which is something that I think I might have known at one point, but actually didn't say that again. (laughs) Yeah. Those, your brain comes out underdeveloped, unlike your heart and lungs, which are fully formed, your brain comes out underdeveloped, absolutely dependent on what it encounters on its full ride to development. And in those first two to three years, 85, 85 to 90% of the physical brain is grown. A million new neural connections are formed every second in a baby's brain. Mm. And unlike, you know, when you think about it, when milk feeds the body, right? That's how the body grows. Yes. It's nurturing interaction, that talking interaction, that goofy sound that you make to your children or grandchildren that is actually building the infrastructure of the brain that will result that forms the foundation for all thinking and learning the rest of your life. It's incredible. It is incredible. So what, what's, what role does the parent play in that or the caregiver, the caretaker? Yeah. Well, you know, just as I said, the, the, the caregiver, you know, parent, you know, grandparent, you know, childcare provider through nurturing talk and interaction. And this is really the foundation of my earlier work. We, we call it the three T's and I can tell you why, but really just that nurturing interaction with language builds the brain. So believe it or not, from my first book, you know, there's great science that in those early years, if you do talk and interaction and use a lot of math talk, that actually helps not only build vocabulary, but math ability. If you use certain language, it helps build socio-emotional development and executive function. Basically, those early years builds the entire brain. And if you are in an environment and protection from toxic stress. So you need input and you need protection from stress. Mm -hmm. Uh, Toxic stress is bad for the brain. That's why like the mental health of mother and mothers is so important in supporting them because that's transmitted to children and it's not good for their brains. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so yeah, that's, that's why it's just so incredible. And we squander it in this country. I always say we are squandering an evolutionary gift. 
And and yet the opportunity is there for us, isn't it, uh, to to capitalize on that uh, that remarkable opportunity of giving and shaping life um, as parents. So what is it that we're not doing enough of? Um, what what is it that every parent needs to be the the architect? Of, of the development and growth, um, maybe the engineer as well, of, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that really does cultivate uh, an environment in which brain development can occur optimally. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And remember, I'm leveraging this incredible developmental science that and neuroscience that's so robust and saying, okay, if we know th- what we need at the individual level, how does it inform the societal level? And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say it at a really high level. You know, neuroscience tells us that we have to begin not on the first day of school, but when learning begins, the first day of life. Right. It tells us that children's earliest and most impactful brain architects are their parents and caregivers. Right. Not just biologic parents, but, you know, child care providers, et cetera. It tells us that environment matters. Stable, calm environment foster things like socioemotional skills, executive function skills, whereas disruptive environment impedes it. And, you know, the, the bottom line is that. What children need is what parents need, right? They need time, they need enrichment, they need stability, um, because the bottom line is the health and well-being of our children is absolutely dependent on the support of their parents and caregivers. And, and so what, what is the most important thing that parents have to do in the first few years? <laughs> so, so, you know, again, parents, caregivers, really the way to build a child's brain, I mean, I you know, I could give you, you know, we could spend 10 hours on it. Of course. But at at the center, the foundation of most of our programs is we've boiled down to the center to the the behavior to what we call the three T's. What you need to build your child's brain is tune in, talk more, take turns, tune into what your child's interested, follow your child's lead, Mm. talk about it using rich language, talk about the past, the future, and the present. And then take turns, view your child as a conversational partner from day one. So having conversation even before they can talk. I mean, it is, I don't want to say it's not rocket science, but it's like, it makes sense. I mean, it, you need to talk and interact, but how we get parents, the time bandwidth and support to do it. That seems to be like harder than getting to Mars for Elon Musk. Right. And, and why do you think that is? Oh, you know, that is a, that is another three hour podcast. I know. Um, why, why, why in this country are we such outliers in terms of support for children and families? You know, it, it's, it's complex. I've, I think one through line is this sort of myth of American individualism that you have to be tough and independent and go it alone. And it's sort of seeped into this idea of parenting that in some ways providing some, you know, that, Parenting is a go it alone thing. Parents, you know, especially mothers have internalized this thing where like, if you can't do it all work at home, that it's an individual failing. Like I'm heard over and over again, you know, I felt like I was failing in all parts of my life rather than understanding that it's less about individual decisions than the societal structures that have really set people up to fail. Yes. I mean, that's a lot of what, this book and a lot of people's work is trying to shift this mindset that, you know, that yes, only parents and caregivers raise their children, right? This is not about 
anything about taking away that. It's about providing the structure so that parents have true choice in how they raise their children. There yes. are many ways to raise children and parent children. This is not a parenting book. There's not one way, and there's even good enough parenting, but there's one way to build a child's brain. They need nurturing interaction by a caregiver, whether it be parent, early child care provider, et cetera. Tune in. Tune in, talk more, take turns. Uh, the three T's. I heard it works well with your spouse um, and in you know, you just, policymakers too. Yeah. You heard you, <laughs> that that's somehow come up in your conversation as well. Well, um, you know, I'm reminded of uh, Caitlin Collins has appeared on the show. I don't yes. Know oh, I love her. Oh, my yeah. gosh. She's amazing. Yes. Her work is her work's in here. It's, I'm sorry. I interrupted yeah. you. No, no, it's fine. Uh, and I'm glad that, uh, that, that her work is important to you because she's, she did this amazing study, as I'm sure you know, and we've talked about it here on the show. So I'm just reminding listeners, if you heard this conversation with Collins, Professor Collins is a sociologist who looked at mothers in uh, three European nations and the United States. And the essential conclusion was that in America, just as you said, Dana, um, mothers tend to uh, see the cause of difficulties in being able to be the parents they want to be as their own problem, whereas women in Europe tend to see it as a social problem. Like there's, you know, I need more help. And where is it? Uh, It's not me. It's us that needs to solve this. And of course, that makes all the sense in the world. Well, when we come back after a short break, I want to get into, um, you know, a little bit more specifics on the the new North Star that you envision and what it means for us to be building a parent nation. Um, and maybe another tip or two I might ask about for what managers can do or just people and organizations can do to enable parents to be the, the people that they want to be for their children. So don't go away, folks. When we come back, I'll be continuing my conversation with Dr. Dana Suskind about her book, Parent Nation. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm glad you're with us. Uh, What I do these days, uh, almost 40 years after starting my career at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I started the work-life integration project and the leadership program is uh, working on helping people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of their lives and to improve performance in all the different parts while doing so. So it doesn't always have to be the zero-sum trade-off that most people think it to be. It can be done for you, for your your people in your organization and, and elsewhere. And my guest today... Dr. Dana Suskind, uh, who is a professor of surgery, pediatrics, and public policy at the University of Chicago, as well as co-director of the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health, uh, has written a book, Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise, which is uh, helping us along the way. And that's why I'm so glad to be speaking with her today. So let's get more into uh, the uh, the nor- the new North Star you envision and how we get there, Dana. What is that? Yeah. Um, well, first, I think it's important to sort of define what is a parent nation. You know, it's it's not 
it's an ideal of a society that truly values the labor and love going in to raising the next generation and the support for parents and caregivers that is necessary. Um, and how we get there, you know, I can share with you, you know, the different parts of society. And I think the role that each plays towards supporting parents and therefore children, or I can talk about how we really get there, because I think we can all agree we've got, you know, I come from the science part, we've got the strongest scientific rationale for, for doing this. We've got a huge economic case. I mean, we've got the long-term economic case for investing in early childhood, you know, Jim Heckman, Nobel laureate Jim Heckman's work showing this huge ROI of a dollar invested, getting $13 back, et cetera. And you've got today's economic case. I mean, I think that corporate America is you know, hurting not as much as parents, but quite a bit with the great resignation with women leading the charge because of our lack of family friendly policies and infrastructures. So I always say we've got all these three strong cases, but what we don't have is the public and pol- or political will. And um, it and sounds I'm, like advocacy, Dana. No, no, actually, it's not. It, you know, when would you ever say that me taking care of my patient and ensuring that his or her health and well-being is in order as a doctor is advocacy. No, it's part of being a doctor. So mm-hmm. my tools have changed in this, in this part of my work. I'm not carrying a scalpel or a drill, mm-hmm. but the tools of ensuring the health and well-being of my patients is, is now policy and the levers of how corporate yeah. America can play a role. So no, it's part of being a doctor. I am a scientist and I'm a surgeon. Um, so, okay. But- we're going to agree to disagree. I think what you're doing is is, is activism in the best sense, uh, you know, using real knowledge to try to make a better world from what we know to be the reality today. But let's not debate the semantics of that. And let's get into what does it mean what, what, to, to, to do that building? How do, we, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, listen, you know, people have said, well, how do we convince policymakers more? How do we convince businesses more. I believe people actually know this. I actually don't think it's a matter of convincing. I think it's a matter of public will. And let me tell you why I think a story that is a bright spot in the book and has been influencing a lot of my thinking is the story about a half a century plus ago in another age demographic that was poor, marginalized, and voiceless, the elderly. So, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, over 50% of the elderly lived what was called below the minimum standards of decency. They had no political voice. They had no retirement, no health care. The AARP, you know, with Medicare, Social Security, transformed all of that. And today there is no age demographic. And I'm glad because they've committed, uh, they've helped contribute to society so massively. There's no age demographic better supported. Um, and not only do they continue those supports with prescriptions, et cetera, but they prevent rollbacks, right? I mean, I can tell you about different times they've tried to roll back, but AARP prevented that. Well, I think that parents, caregivers, us, right? Anyone who cares about children or the future of this country, can be that for each other. Um, because I, I I don't take the, this is not a partisan issue. In my book, I've talked to everyone from the entire religious, political, educational, racial, ethnics uh, spectrum. I spoke to so many families and they said the same thing. Not, not only did they all want the same for their children, just to give them a best 
first start, but they were all struggling, especially in the early years. Yes. If there was a way to bring together this, the power of their voice um, in, in a pragmatic way as the AARP did, because often we think, mm-hmm. you know what, let's go march, let's, you know, uh, do all of that advocacy, as you say, which is great. But look, people are busy. I mean, there is a reason that parents, especially mothers, are burned out. It is a lot. So we need an organization, you know, with businesses at the helm, right? I actually think that businesses can really, because they're waking up to this. I, I Maybe I'm being naive, or maybe I'm just talking to the, the right businesses. But I think that, you know, the the this separation between profession and parent that that wall is being is crumbling with covid that mm-hmm. they they would benefit too that together we can push forward a society that that it actually puts children and families at the center that was a long way to say that a parent type aarp movement is really what i think needs to happen yeah uh and i think the moment is here um you know having been involved in this field for over three decades and recalling a conversation I had with uh, six or seven other people who met uh, about a half a dozen times with then Vice President Al Gore in his office in 1996 when I spoke about the need for an infrastructure for support uh, for rearing children in our society. Uh, there was you know, a lot of enthusiasm for the idea among us and at the conference that we organized on work and family in uh, Nashville that summer. Um, But the world wasn't quite ready uh, as it is now with the, you know, the current generation of parents and, you know, maybe a silver lining, if we can ever call it that of the pandemic has been a real jolt to, uh, to make us all aware uh, you know, on, on the business side of our lives that we're, you know, that, that, we're, that we're human and that uh, we have lives and roles that we play beyond work that, that must be attended to. And in fact, the really good news in all of this, and this is what our research and practice at Warden has been about, is that when you attend to the other side, you know, the other parts of life, uh, parenting and, and all the other things that, that, that create meaning, uh, that you, you get not just healthier uh, people at work, but better performing people. Uh, and it, it's just not surprising. Like you said earlier, this isn't rocket science, but but we have these outmoded ways of thinking about uh, the relationship between work and the rest of life, which you talk about, you know, the ideal worker. So, uh, and, and what it means to be always on and always available. And it's not gone away entirely, but there is, I think, a new kind of consciousness uh, among us. So, so what are you doing now to, to sort of help to, to mobilize that? Not as an advocate or an activist, Dr. Suskind. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I, I really want to emphasize that there are so many in the field that are working. I mean, it's, it's really heartening. I mean, we all come yes. from, it, from a different angle. I come from it from the child and the healthy development. Some are coming from the gender equity, civil rights. Yes. At the end of the day, it's all pushing forward the same thing. Um, yes. You know, I can tell you we have we're we're talking, obviously, we're but you know, we're we've built a team internally to, you know, if people go to our website, parentnation.org, we've created, you know, downloadable resources to help not just mobilize, but you know, start 
resulting in that that norm shift that's so necessary for elevating our expectations. Like what's yeah. what's your favorite resource there at parentnation.org? Uh, my favorite resource, for, uh, in addition to the villages and the curriculum, is there something called the Big Shift Tool. Um, it's really cool, and we're going to actually on a different time, we can talk about the academic interest in it, but basically it invites people to go through, you know, and imagine like if they needed to get high quality childcare or they need to take their kid to the pediatrician and didn't have a day off and all these different regular scenarios that people have to go through with young children. And it says, okay, who can help you out with it? You know, is it mostly on your shoulders? Is it your community? Is it your institution, policymakers? And invariably, especially in our country, it's all on the individual shoulders, right? right. Society and community doesn't play a role. But then what's really cool is it invites you to to reimagine what a society looks like. It almost gives you a magic wand of what, you know, where supports might come to help you uh, get to those uh, end goals. And in some ways, I think what it allows us to do is to imagine a world that is a little bit different, because I think that we've all been especially parents in these last couple of years have been so beat down by, you know, this unsustainability of be, about being parent, coach, therapist, camp counselor, while holding down a job, while being worried teacher. about teacher. Oh yeah. Teacher. And now the lack of formula. I mean, like, seriously, mm-hmm. this is, is this a cosmic, you know, not funny joke. Um, and it's obscene. And, uh, but I think we need to be able to imagine, we need to elevate our expectations. We need to build collective identity and start seeing each other as allies. And um, yeah, so we're doing talking, we're thinking, and I'm excited to talk to you about it. So the big shift tool, um, what, do you, what, what happens when people take the time to reflect on, well, what might, I be able to do to make a change in terms of the, you know, actually acquiring the support that I need to be able to deal with the most pressing problems I face. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the, obviously in the larger theory of change and the research side of things that we don't talk about, it's, you know, it, it's elevation of expectation and increased mastery. And then, you know, we have a whole list of different things that you can do to push forward change in your community as a, you know, it's about bringing community together, finding, we we call it the three F's, finding community, sort of like the three T's for building a child's brain. Yes. The three F's for changing the world, finding community, because so many families feel alone, right? Especially this guilt and shame of feeling like they're not doing it, but everybody else has this magic formula. Like that is a universal. Right. Um, and then forging collective identity, really finding, you know, mm-hmm. starting to look at each other instead of by other identifiers, seeing that we're all parents just wanting the same for our children, and then fighting for change. Obviously, it needs a much larger infrastructure to go along with it, with, you know, bringing and partnering with organizations, which we've started across the country, and a business case. I actually think business can and will be at the table because they have a vested interest. You know, Mil- Milton Friedman's words, I'm at the University of Chicago, you know, and, and I know you saw this. No relation. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But you can re- interpret Milton Friedman's assessment of corporate responsibility 
in a way that actually backs us up, right? A firm's bottom line depends on both near and long-term profits. And in that same way, when a farmer fertilizes his crop, I talked about in the book, in the spring, it raises crop, it raises the cost. Yes, it costs a little bit, but it, and it lowers the profits in that quarter. But fertilizing ensures a plentiful harvest and huge profits in the fall. And that's what we've got to start thinking about, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yes, we're going to get more women into the workforce, so important, save in childcare, but we're building the health and well-being of our society by investing in children and families. And, and this we must continue to press to do, despite, despite the, uh, the many obstacles that are, that are before all of us uh, in, in striving towards that ideal. This is Work and Life you're listening to on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Dana Suskind who's written an important work, very accessible, wonderful stories of all kinds of parents and what we need to do together to build what she calls in the book's title, Parent Nation. That's a place I want to live, Parent Nation. (laughs) Unlocking every child's potential, fulfilling society's promise. So um, getting back down to the micro level of human interaction and particularly at work, what advice do you offer about what um, an employee can be doing at work to create the kind of um, world that allows them to to be more of the kind of parent that they want to be? Yeah, I mean, I think two things. I mean, first, before we get into actual policies, you know, a recognition that many employees are parents or caregivers for others. Um, And that what can be good for the parent employee is also good for the bottom line and can be good for the bottom line. I think that there's this weird feeling, at least before, that, you know, this is just a, you know, a feel good, oh, you're being a good, you know, employer. But the truth is, is that, as you mentioned, you have happier, healthier employees that bring their full selves to work. And in this job job market, you retain your workforce. I mean, we know how much it costs to replace people, especially when, you know, so much of the talent is leaving. So that's Mm -hmm. that. But when you think about what families need, right, they need, you know, things like flexibility and reliability. Um, You know, the, you need paid leave. Um, You need, you know, help with affordable childcare. Obviously I, you know, it's a private you know, a public partnership. And I have feelings that, you know, high quality accessible childcare should be supported at the federal level. But, you know, until then, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yes. Right now it's just the, the municipalities and state governments that are innovative and progressive on this front. And, and it's, it's hard to imagine in the current political environment that we're going to make progress on this at the federal level, despite you know, many great people spending a lot of energy and treasure on on trying to make that happen. But yes, we totally need that. Any sane society needs to have massive investments uh, at the at at the federal level on uh, child care, early education, etc. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. I, I, you're <laughs> triggering me. Please, <laughs> please continue. Way. In a good way, of course. <laughs> In a good way. No, no. I mean, I think that, and at the same time, I think that, you know, employers 
you know, corporate America as a whole, really, you know, with this mind shift that I am hearing. I mean, I really, you know, I, I really am feeling a change. And I think that at least in the talk um, that I know that you're hearing as well, but seeing themselves as partners and pushing our society yeah. forward, they, you know, with their you know, their innovation and economic might, I think that they can play a huge role in pushing us forward because, you know, we've, we all know that, you know, the way it's working is not working for our economy at all. So. And, and there are things that individuals at, at work can do um, to, to make change happen. Um, we provide a, a, in, in Parents Who Lead, uh, Alyssa Westring and I uh, you know, develop a set of tools based on my total leadership work oh, yeah. that, that are, it's for parents uh, and people who are in parent, parenting partnerships, we call them, uh, you know, people who are raising children together and all the many forms that that occurs, uh, the kinds of things that people can do to experiment with new ways of getting things done that enable them to help their careers, help their businesses, and help their children. Yeah. Uh, there was a wonderful example of a, um, a couple that had a child who had a, um, a very serious and rare uh, physical um, disease, and they were, they were ashamed of it and never talked about it, either one of them, at work because of the, the uh, stigma that they assumed was going to be associated with it. But as a result of the work that we had them do in our workshop, where they looked at their values, their vision of a better tomorrow, who the more important people are in their lives and how to connect them to their values and vision and, and, and to see where they had so much more support than they had imagined, doing something very much like what you're describing with the big shift – they decided that they were going to come out about their child's uh, disability, as they thought of it, and to start a fundraiser about it and you know, to, to, to raise funds for research on this. And, it, and my point in telling you this story, I mean, it was very inspiring and we provide detail about it in the book, but um, it really changed how, especially the mom, uh, was seen by her her people in her organization. They saw her more as a leader with greater potential to advance because of how she took on this issue in a in a you know in a bold and passionate way and made shit happen. You know yeah. she she got money, uh, she raised awareness, and they and she so she was seen as um, higher profile and in terms of her advancement potential, it helped her career. I love that. And I love, I mean, and if, if those stories can multiply and people both in middle and upper management and lower, I mean, it gives permission because what it does is that it gives permission to others to share because in some ways, because of this individualism thing, we're ashamed when it feels like it's not right. It's, you know, even, even in so many ways, I mean, I'll tell you, I actually put this in the book, but the funniest thing, I mean, you think like, I'm pretty accessible. I, I'm, I'm little, I look like a, you know, a cute pediatrician. You think that the people who work for me would feel a thousand percent comfortable saying, well, I'll tell you the story. One of my uh, uh, PhDs, who's lovely, who is sort of, who is relatively young, after a meeting said to me, you know, Dane, after the meeting, can we talk? I want to talk to you about something medical. And I was like, oh, no, my gosh, something is wrong medically. You know, I put on my mom's hat. And then afterwards, she's like, you know, Dana, and she looked all nervous. She said, I'm pregnant. I'm like, 
That's oh. amazing. That's medical, I guess. That's, exactly. She was like, you know, how is Dana going to respond to this? Uh, how is, you know, I've just started is how she, I was like, oh my gosh, if you feel that way with me and I'm writing this, yeah. this book, gosh knows how it is with someone who doesn't profess to love children and families. Right. And yeah. I was like, no, Danny, this is amazing. Look, we're yes. going to make it work. And look, we, every, we were, we'll work, we'll make it all work. Um, but it was, well, that, I think that's why talking about it is so everybody has to talk about it all the time. All right. We, we are basically out of time, but I we're on zoom. So I'm going to just share this screen with you. All right. So these are my grandchildren two of oh. them. Okay. And I'm sure nobody else can see this, but you right now, Dana. Oh, first, how, how adorable. You don't have to tell me. Oh my gosh. Could I take a bite out of one? <laughs> those cheeks, one right? Cheek? Okay. Cheeks. Yes. Now those cheeks, uh, the, there's no other cheeks like that in the, in the world. But what I wanted to ask you about was uh, grandparents. What's your, what's your advice for grandparents? I am like so bullish on grandparents because let's face it, so many parents are so busy. I think this can be a cross-generational movement, right? Parent, grandparents are worried. They're worried about their children, their grandchildren, um, the beauty of the AARP and, you know, mm-hmm. I've hopefully we'll talk more to them, but their, their sort of motto is serve, not be served. Mm. And I think that uh, grandparents, not only can they help individually with their own grandchildren and their, their families. And look, it's, it's a harder, it's so strange in this country that it's instead of things getting better, because you usually think, Oh, you know, American dream, everybody gets better and better. Like it's gotten harder. And yeah. I think grandparents uh, can really play an important role um, because they have an investment. They've got grandchildren with cheeks that you just want to bite out of. <laughs> I, I have done that. Um, <laughs> Softly, of course. Dana, we are unfortunately out of time. I I hope you'll come back because there's so much more I want to talk with you about. Um, How can listeners find out more about what you're up to? Um, Go to parentnation.org. We have all these resources. Please download. Obviously, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Dana Suskind. And I think the same thing is on, uh, on Instagram. And it's Oh gosh, you see, I should know this. I should get this. At, really at should. Nation, yeah, this is this is how you know I'm a surgeon and <laughs> promoter. It's all right. So I'm Parent not- Nation, that's the main yes. place. Parentnation.org. Thank Parentnation.org. So. Thank you for your work and your uh, your passionate energy devoted to the most important thing in the world. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Stu, and thank you, Dana Cash. Yes. Yeah, this is great. It was I had fun. Dana uh, Cash was our producer today. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to catch new episodes of the show Mondays at noon Eastern. If you want to talk to me about anything on the show or email me and uh, we'll connect. It's Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu. E-D-U, that's my email. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, go to totalleadership.org to find out more about all the stuff that we're doing to help people and organizations create more harmony improve performance, make the world a little bit better. Uh, I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. And we're going to go out with another song about going home. Yet another Neil Young song, just as we did last week. This is one called Here For You. It's from the album Prairie Wind. And it's about, it's about his children. 
So enjoy. We'll see you next time.